Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Boss, and I am so excited to be the host of this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you if you have already rated the show, for rating the show. If you haven't, go rate the show, go tell a friend. You know, the whole podcast spiel that everyone gives in the beginning. I'm doing it too. Um, But anyways, back to this one. Together, we're going to have conversations about what it's like to be a woman in the gaming industry. From struggle to success, we're covering it all. To our returning listeners, thank you so much for supporting the show, for leaving those reviews, like I said, and to new listeners, welcome. I am so excited to introduce our guest this week. We have such an amazing list of guests, and this one totally does not disappoint. She fits the bill. Um, Chris Amaya has an illustrious background in gaming, including serving on the International Game Developers Association, founding Latinos in Gaming, and previously working at Google Stadia, Twitch, and Unity. So just such a roster there. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you so much for coming on. And to start, if you just wouldn't mind expanding on a little bit of that background I gave, because I think there's a lot, a lot to talk about there, and we'd love to hear more about you. Yeah. Um, well, first off, thank you for having me. Uh, super cute intro. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so let's see. Uh, I am in events marketing in gaming. Um, I really like focusing on events, community building, social media. So really consumer-focused, consumer-facing marketing stuff. Um, Latinos in gaming, Latinx in gaming, however you pronounce it or whatever you prefer. We are a nonprofit dedicated to getting more Latinx folks hired in the gaming industry. Um, And then in terms of my work experience, you know, um, I've done everything from be a social media manager to be head of an event department, you name it. Um, I've been involved in the consumer marketing focus side of it in some capacity. Um, and I'm really excited to see kind of like what goes on next. So where did you start and how did you work up to where you are now? Yeah. Yeah, social media manager is such a cop. Like I, I've been there, you know, tech industry jobs. It's, it's definitely a newer thing. I, I, I feel like we probably have a lot of people listening in who have also done that. But how were you able to kind of take that next step and what opportunities did you look for to get to where you are now? So I started out in social media management back in, I'm going to like date myself here, like back in 2012, 2013, don't don't guess the age. Um, And what (laughs) I will say is I um, didn't like it, right? Like I, it made me be on social media a lot. And when you're between the ages of 22 and 23, it's pretty damaging. Um, to see everybody else winning all the time and you don't really feel like you are especially when you're that young um so I started looking to other things and I was like what do I like doing right like I like events I like the parties I go to I like the game comms the taxes etc so I was like I'm going to be an event manager but being an event manager is not an easy necessarily not none of these fields you know like almost all of the gaming industry is difficult to get into they expect right. you to have free bacon's experience. They expect you to know the industry. And as we grow and become more professional, there's an expectation that you like are the best of the best, you know? And so I was entering at a time where it was still a little bit of the wild, wild west. And there was still like mm-hmm. a joining of, you know, this person worked at Google for 15 years and now they're working at Twitch kind of, kind of energy. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I would do it on the side. I started as being, um, if you work PAXs, uh, you can mm-hmm. get paid for your time at PAX, which covers like maybe your hotel if you get a cheap one and you share with a bunch of friends um, or your flight, depending on where you're coming from. And then you could mm-hmm. also get the ticket covered for free. So I would be in the expo hall floor 
And then that would also give me the chance to network. So it was a, a relatively cheap, and I like quote marks that one, it's a relatively cheaper way to interact with the gaming um, developers who were often out on the show floor. And so I started doing that in 2013. And then in 2015, um, no, 2013, I started working for a company called Well Played. Uh, and I was their hospitality manager on the side. So I still had a full-time job, mind you. And mm. I was also doing a side gig because my, like getting into events full-time was not an entry-level position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But um, if, for those of you who haven't been to PAX, there's East, West, and I know that they've been talking about adding some other ones. Oh, I see South on the schedule, actually. Um, I'm an East coaster, so I only know the East coast one, but for those of you who haven't looked at PAX, it's an, it's an, it's actually a really awesome conference. It's actually, uh, where I got my start as well. So if, if it's financially feasible, it's, it's, it's really fun. Um, there's a lot of business that happens there, but there's also a lot of fun stuff. So I do recommend it. I don't know if you have the same experience, but I, I've only been a couple of times, but I have enjoyed it. It's a good conventions Central are what you make from place. them yeah, yeah that's so, also very true <laughs> right like you can go and just party the whole time and like that's your prerogative you could also go and have like set panels you want to go to because there's certain game developer that you mm -hmm. really admire is going to be there and then you could be like hey i want to meet you like how do i get on your calendar right like you could that could be your entire purpose and that one interaction could carry you really far in this industry right it all really depends on like how you interact and how you involve yourself and really what your goals are and I know it's probably scary, especially if you're younger, because I remember I didn't really decide what I wanted to do until I was 23, 24, but college mm -hmm. was started when I was 18 and ended when I was 21. And so like, for me, it was yeah. scary. <laughs> kind of wild that we go from having an entire routine our whole lives from being born. And then at 18, it's like, oh, we're just going to ship you away, put you somewhere. You're going to just figure it out. Like nobody has any idea what they're doing when they you know, leave for college or just graduate high school in general, because that whole routine immediately disappears overnight when you graduate. Just insane. But yeah, yeah. It, millennial it's, diatribe, it's actually, I think. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of wild how heavy the expectations were on millennials. And, and it, this isn't just an us thing. I feel bad for Gen Z, too. Like, we, mm -hmm. we come out there and in the middle of a recession, right? And then they were like, mm -hmm. go find jobs. And I, st I studied political science. And I remember just being like, where? Everything's only paying $8 an hour. I'm from Florida. So like that, even that was like barely livable, right? And right. I just was supposed to do like an unpaid internship. I was struggling with debt already because like I had to pay for college too. Like I didn't right. necessarily have the funding some other kids do. And when you think about it, like, our workforce and our work systems that have more like middle, you know, blue collar, white collar types of jobs, right? If you're really thinking about those differences, there's classism mm -hmm. there, right? Especially in the gaming Absolutely. industry. To get into gaming, you have to be able to afford like the computer I'm sitting on right now is $1,700. Luckily, it's a work laptop, right? Like there's other pieces like being able to afford to travel, being able to afford to play the games. And if you don't have those bar barriers of entries down, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I feel bad. It's so one thing I'm going to plug on X and gaming here that we're trying to do um, is we're trying to fill those gaps. And we're not the only ones, by the way. I'm like not trying to sound like we're taking credit, but there's a lot of us out there in the DE&I space that are doing grants so that we can help get people funding um, for what they need to do. So like, you know, uh, we recently got a guy in you monitor 
Uh, and he had mm-hmm. one that was 15 years old and he needed that monitor to do work. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yes. You are currently speaking to someone who is working on a 2012 MacBook. <laughs> Cause I have oh, not my been able to upgrade. Uh, it is, you know what? It is a blessing. It still runs. I have a billion things plugged into it. Sometimes the fan gets really angry, but we're still going. So respect. But, I respect you. <laughs> you know, someone who works in the gaming industry, but and I, I actually do have access to a gaming computer, but I share it with a partner and it's not in a good spot. I have, you know, it's the whole complicated story. But I guess to sum up, one thing that I like that you said is that you're doing grants because I think as millennials and Gen Zers and even older generations being saddled with debt. Anytime I hear the word scholarship or uh, there's certain words, terms that uh, make me nervous about companies when they offer things. (laughs) Um, So grants are a word that uh, generally have a good connotation. And I appreciate the mention behind a grant behind grant funding, as opposed to a lot of other forms of funding. Yeah. Yeah. We, and one cool thing about our grant program too, and I agree, grant funding is the way to go to be real, but um, we are letting some of our um, people who have raised money for us who are bigger in the gaming industry and Latinx decide how we give that money out too. Right. So one person I'm going to name Andy Cortez from kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. He raised seven grand for us. That's not, that's not chump change. That could set somebody up for, I mean, if you gave me seven grand when I was between the ages of 22 to like 28, it would have, it would have changed my life at the time, right? It would have immensely helped me. And so we're asking him to like, let mm-hmm. us know, well, what does that go to, right? Do you want it to go to a streamer? Do you want it to go to a content creator? Like how should they spend it? And then that's like the parameters. We're not going to be so like, you can only get this alien or computer, but we are going to be specific, right? right? Um, and I'm excited because it, we're helping foster that like chain of of not just networking, but like community building, right? We're having mm-hmm. leaders in the space build through our tools um, and make things happen. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that it's a it's not just a one and done process either. Uh, it's kind right. of it builds on itself and people, I like it when there's an opportunity to also to see things through because even if even if you even if the person who you said raised money it, it's really nice to be able to actually know what it's going to as well right. or to at least know that you have the option because i can also imagine raising money and not wanting to think about it but it's nice that the either way you can be involved in the process from start to finish whether you choose where it goes or whether you say this is for you to choose you to decide but i want to you know you're kept in the loop kind of all the way through i think that's a really unique way of giving um that makes a lot of right. sense to me <laughs> yeah so so good thinking i guess <laughs> quick yeah, way to sum yeah. that up <laughs> um but agree, moving agree. forward i do want to talk a little bit more about getting into the industry i know we've touched on a lot of points my my goal coming into this podcast was to splitting up into getting into the industry and then talking about once you're actually in, and we've already kind of covered both angles, but I want to take a step back a little bit and um, get more on track with my original, the structure I had in mind. But I wanted to also share some resources with our audience, because when we had initially met, you shared some really good research and stories with me, one in particular about getting hired. And I, I feel like such a I, um, millennial slash Gen Zer when I talk about the job market and all of that, it's like, Oh, it's kind of a typical refrain, especially during the Great Recession, which has come up in so many of my podcasts. But 
it's hard. Um, I actually just recently went through the job market and I applied for over a hundred positions and got no callbacks. And yeah, it's, and and I, I truly don't take that personally. And I'm lucky to have that, that fortitude, that fortitude, I guess, because it's difficult to not take it personally. Um, but there's so much, there's, it's almost like winning the lottery when you just get a job interview at this point, there's so many roadblocks in the way. And you had shared a story with me about a fake resume that someone had basically optimized for resume readers. They just had utterly ridiculous bullet points in it, like connected with Reed Hoffman on LinkedIn and slid into the DMs and team coffee maker insured team of six was fully caffeinated with Antarctic coffee beans ground up to 14 nanometer particles. And yet that fake resume got tons of callbacks. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, and you know, my real one didn't get as many, but it's okay. Uh, but the thing that really struck me about that resume was the sort of vicious feedback loop we're in where that person just wrote down that they had software developing experience at every major tech company and therefore got callbacks. And that is, uh, sort of similar to what you were saying earlier about breaking into the industry and how you needed to already have eight years of experience, right? right. which doesn't really help people. But do you have any words of advice or resources or just thoughts on how we could change that or what people could do now when they're trying to get in breaking through the system? I think people need to let go of some of their preconceived biases about um, younger hires and newer hires. And um, I've been a hiring manager more than once in my time in the gaming industry. And like, I so I hired like a year, literally a year ago. Uh, I was hiring for two different roles, and one of them, uh, you know, I it did interview a lot of younger candidates. I did interview a lot of. Uh, so so here's an, another problem, man. I'm just going in different directions. So feel free to stop me. One of the major problems. No, I love it. Tangents. I love a tangent. <laughs> tangent. Um, yeah. One of the major problems in the gaming industry is it's mostly white men. Seventy-four percent. Like I'm, I'm pulling the stat from literally Google because my coworker of mine and, and I were like, "What? What is it?" And it's between mm-hmm. seventy to seventy-seven percent is white men, right? So they're surrounding themselves with themselves. And this is like, there's nothing necessarily insidious about that. You, you know what you know, right? But then right. when they're like, who do we go to hire, right? Who do we go to do this? Like today, I was in a conversation um, with a group of people and we were talking about who do we bring on for this like big prestigious thing next? And it was like, there were 10 candidates and most of them were white men brought in by white men or a white, you know, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you know right. So I was the one that brought on, and, and for what it's worth, one of the people did try to bring on Hispanic men, so a little bit different. Um, I brought on two women of diverse background mm-hmm. because, and I looked really hard, and they're they're a little bit more junior compared to the other candidates. But I think that's okay because I think that it's really important to to grow people into the roles, to give them the opportunities to grow. If if you're not if you don't have the bandwidth and time to train people, then you really need to talk to your company about like giving you more headcount in general, right? And also, right. like, I think it's okay to create a role and train somebody how to be really good in that role so that they can advance their career. Taking those type of risks may seem scary, but it's important that we start doing so or we're going to continue with this. It's 2021 and we're, we're right. literally majority men, majority white men. And mm-hmm. so I think that the only way this will change is if you take risks as a hiring manager. If you look out and recommend people that you might not have thought of before, if you think a little bit outside the box, and if you 
give people um, positions of power and leadership. I, I was recently working with a company um, and there were a lot of women who felt they had no leadership opportunities internally, right? And mm -hmm. the there was a lot of like little, you know, uh, groups that were helping manage like the brand, right? Diversity. And I was like, you should take these young women who don't have, you know, they've been here for five years, but they're, you know, 25, they're younger. And you give them the opportunity by putting them in a leadership role and saying, this is what we need to accomplish. We will be here to mentor you. Let's figure it out. And that's how you help develop leaders within your organization and help lift them up. But if we're not willing to do it internally, if we're not willing to do it on hiring practices, we will continue to see a mostly majority white male audience, of, of not even audience, of, you know, faces. When gaming in reality is played like 50% of like 48 to 52%, depending on where you're looking at statistics of gamers are women. So, you know, <laughs> Right. Well, again, it's the whole, if you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to keep getting what you've always got, <laughs> which is a very, uh, or metaphorical. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's a very short way of saying that something's got to change. <laughs> uh, right. And I totally agree with that. Right. I actually was just reading a book. Are you familiar with the AI researcher, Janelle Shane? Yes. 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 yes yeah. Yes. So I was just uh, reading her book, uh, Total wow. plug for her, but she's a great blog called AI Weirdness, and she released a book called You Look Like a Thing and I Love You, and it's a great book. And she actually talks specifically about resume readers and bots built to read resumes. And one of them, I can't remember who or exactly what this this story was, but basically one of them found that the highest likelihood, highest piece of information that was most likely to get you hired was to be named Jared. <laughs> It was like every bot learned that that name, which is a predominantly white male name, um, somehow made it through the hiring process more often than a lot of people with a lot of other and different qualifications, which right. I find very funny um, and speaks to this issue. And I think, well, I think one of the things that you raise a good point on is that employers themselves do have due diligence to actually spend the time on these types of things. And I don't think we have a culture that encourages that, no. you know, from this fake resume article. One of the things that was amazing was this person kept getting callbacks and they kept saying, name one thing on the resume that you found interesting. And almost none of the hiring managers or none of the hiring managers he spoke with could name any one thing from that resume. So clearly they're just getting recommendations based on certain things. And the whole ethical issue with AI and how it's built and how resume readers are built. And it winds up hurting very specific communities, especially for people and women of color. And then especially there, women of color. <laughs> so yeah, just this whole cyclical thing. It's cyclical. Yeah. Um, another good book. I'm, I added while you were talking, I added that book to my Kindle because I just, <laughs> I just like having a lot to read and I'm supposed to read a hundred books by the end of the year and I'm at 83. So I oh, wow. need to like, Speed run through it. Um, <laughs> but Brotopia is a really good book about Silicon yep. Valley. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. maybe we might have discussed this. I'm not sure, but it's definitely one of those interesting reads. And the first couple of pages is like we set ourselves, and, and gaming is part of tech, right? But we set ourselves a failure by some of the first images being a pornographic image of a woman. Oh yeah, who, uh, from mm -hmm. Playboy who did not consent mm -hmm. to it, right? And everybody was fine with it because it was a room full of 1970s white you know, half high college students, right? Like yeah. they didn't care. 
but it's developed and it's one piece of a whole puzzle that has put us in this uncomfortable position of like, you know, not being able to, to fight back and not being able to like, if you, if you really think about it too, we build the workday, we build HR structures, we build yep. communication styles around the preferences of our white male colleagues. And so when people, minorities come in and when women come in and try to either have the same communication style or are different, Mm -hmm. There can be a real problem in how they are perceived. And um, I, I have this like little chart that you can find. Um, it's like, you know, when a woman of color enters the space and it's like she is celebrated and lauded like the first couple of months because she's done this like excellent job at uplifting and everybody loves her and she's great and she's awesome. And then a couple of months later, it's like uh, she's starting to notice the problems in the company and she's calling mm -hmm. them out because she's the only woman of color in leadership. And then she exits the company, whether by choice or by force, because they didn't understand her. They don't like being called out for their shit. And it, it is like I share it in groups of women all the time. Like there's a ton yeah. of diversity groups and every single time without fail. A woman's like, holy shit, this happened to me. And it's such a shame. Yes, I was actually going to bring up that exact graphic. I will absolutely be linking to it in the show notes. because I think it's so important. Two little tangents on your tangents. The first is I always, always, always share that story from Brotopia. And my absolute favorite thing was the male researcher who said exactly, oh, we didn't think it was a problem because there's no women there. So how could it be a problem? Nobody in the room saw it as a problem. <laughs> you are literally in the wrong room. <laughs> That's the issue. Um, so I thought that that was so funny. No. And secondly, 83 books is, is very impressive on the year. My yearly goal is always 60. And any, if any of the readers would like book recommendations, <laughs> reach out to Chris or me. Um, big, we big reader. I love yeah. books. Yeah. yeah. Brotopia yeah. is a good one. Um, also the ethical algorithm. Very good one. If you're into, Ooh, okay. yeah. If you're into reading, um, I try to, I try to read a minimum of five, uh, learning books, educational books per year, you know, memoirs, cool. or science books or something. Five out of the 60, 60 is like my magic number for the year. I try to make five of them educational and uh, the ethical algorithm has been in there. And uh, Janelle Shane's book, You Look Like a Thing and I Love You, which follows up her incredible blog very well. But anyways, I know that we um talking about gaming. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right, right. Yeah. But it, it, there's an intertwining there, right? It's the same sort of energy, the same sort of like it's built off of a certain image of like what technology nerd nerd fandoms etc was a sort of gatekeepy kind of thing that that still yep. happens to this day um, oh even you know, office temperatures that that's one thing yeah. that always astounded me the office yeah. temperature is set so that men are comfortable so right. i've had jobs where i'm wearing slippers and snuggies and all kinds of things because men typically well in pre covid times and even now but i don't know if men are actually physiologically warmer it certainly feels like it i'm sure if that's true but Probably. men are typically wearing pants and long sleeve shirts button-ups sport yeah. coats so the office temperature is typically set to cater to that yeah. and uh if yeah. you're a woman in the summertime <laughs> who has the right. the joy of wearing a dress when it's hot outside you also get the joy of absolutely freezing inside all day <laughs> because yeah every office temperature is set in the 60s to cater to that. so very fun. Uh, at least the work from home office doesn't have that problem, but you know, right. <laughs> other right. issues. Chris, what has your experience been as a minority woman in the gaming industry? Ooh, what types of things have um, you experienced? Look, 
I have learned through my time in gaming because I I'm a millennial, right? So I'm I'm 31 years old. And when I was in oh, college, oh, you aged um, yourself. Now nobody, now nobody. <laughs> I'm not I'm, I'm it. Problem. Yeah. Yeah. Google. Um, it's yeah. on my Twitter too. You can. Yeah, I was like, why hide it? What's what's gonna happen? I'm not gonna crown out. Um, so I, I'm gonna use this as an example. Uh, and I talk about her in so many podcasts, but she hasn't she hasn't picked up on it yet. So I in college ran the Apathy League of Legends Club. I went to Florida State. I'm accidentally wearing my college stuff right there because I'm at home. Um, and <laughs> I, I was running the club and I was one of the only girls there. Right. And, you know, another girl joins the fray and her name was Sloan. And I was so protective of my space. I was like, she's not a real gamer. She's not this. She's not, I was really ugly. Like it was not pretty how I act towards this girl. And mm-hmm. now of course she's one of my best friends. She also works in the gaming industry, but I had to over time in gaming learn the love and respect that other women bring to the table. And I will say that some of my biggest allies in gaming are women, right? Are, are women who sit and understand and respect me. Every job I leave, I think, you know, I, I bring with me some incredible women that I would kill to work with ever again. Like, you know, one of my old bosses when I was working uh, with Google Stadio was Nicole Cullip, um, one of the best event managers in the business, just crazy good at what she does, right? And you know, I learned so, so much from her, but you know, like there's also limited jobs, right. And I'm quote marketing again, right. but it feels like there's limited jobs, right. So if Nicole and I were in the job market at the same time, I might go up against her. And in fact, I've gone up against other women in this industry or other people in this industry for jobs, but I, I'm so respectful of the fact that like, she could get it. Like, I, I love that. Right. And that's not somebody I was when I was younger. And that might also be a, you were a young woman and a teenager thing in your group, but Either way, um, in terms of how I'm treated overall, it's better. It used to be a lot worse. Um, it's improving. It used to be really bad. Is it perfect? No. Do I want young women that are exiting college to get treated the way I have or still sometimes do? Not at all. And um, I think it's important that I, as an older woman in this industry, use my voice to help to help these young women. Because if I don't speak up, and it is on them. The onus is often on their careers because when you do speak out, and we have seen this effect on some people, right? Your career could be damaged and it can be ruined and, it could, and things could negatively yeah. happen. So for me, it is, it is imperative that I do what I can to say, hey, she deserves an opportunity. Hey, she deserves to be in the room. Hey, she deserves to be spoken for. I will right. always try to be as egalitarian as possible. And I've messed it up. Don't get me wrong. Like I definitely sometimes shot myself in the foot but I I really want to be there for for women and uh recently I went to an esports business conference um in uh Las Vegas and there was a young woman there that was traveling by herself and I I just was in absolute shock that she was and this the same conference I went to an after party that like there's no door guard there was nothing and this was months ago okay this is like October <laughs> um, I know I was and, there <laughs> oh yeah, duh, yeah. Oh my God. um but uh <laughs> um I got hit on twice um at this party and I just I was not I'm not there to be hit on I'm not on LinkedIn to be hit on I'm not posting on my professional whatever Twitter to be hit on like sure I might post a few photos of myself but even that's still not asking to be hit on if you see me on a dating profile feel free to send me, you know, a DM, right? But I'm not there for that, right? And so it really annoyed me that it was two older gentlemen as well. So it wasn't like, 
you know, some young new to the industry there, they were older men who clearly looked established in the space, who clearly have enough money to take themselves to a $2,000 ticketed event in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And, and it really rubbed me the wrong way because this girl was here alone and she didn't know anybody. And she came hoping to make friends and, and she's younger in the industry too. And the mm-hmm. whole time I kept thinking of how one awesome and badass of a girl she was like a badass bitch, like crazy cool that you're there, but two, how scared I was for her. And that, that really sucks to feel right. But it's, Unfortunately, not wrong. We've heard multiple stories of women being roofied, Me Too movements, allegations, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just so weird to think, I forget where I was recently, and I thought, wow, for the first time ever, I'm actually not worried. I'm completely comfortable. What a, what a concept, you know? That, that has not, and, and that was a very specific situation. I'm struggling to remember exactly what it was, but it, it's what you're talking about. It's almost like you're always, there's always a guard up, which also yep. doesn't help with, with a professional career. And I don't mean that in the sense that it's, it's an individual's fault if they have that guard up and they can't freely express themselves or freely say what they wish to say or present new ideas. I was at a position in a company where when I would present new ideas to a superior, he said, I'm likely, I'll probably say yes to all of your ideas because you remind me of my daughter. And I, it just, it was so disheartening because I did not see that kind of sentiment for my male colleagues, first of all. And second of all, I don't want to, my ideas to be valued because I'm a woman. I want them to be valued because they're good ideas in the same way. Exactly. I wouldn't want to be approached at a business conference because I'm attractive, but because I'm interesting and had something interesting to say, or, right. Or you just wanted to get to know a stranger because they're also in the gaming industry and that guard can be detrimental to your own career, but without it, you subject yourself to so many comments and things and situations. It's an, it's an impossible trade-off really. Yeah. I, I got like thinking of that conference and I feel bad Dear conference organizers. If you hear me, I don't think you are bad people, but let's talk about diversity and how you bring it to a conference. We were, I was in a panel with like the VP of like Dignitas, like Aaron Ashley Simon, who is an incredible woman. Like every single woman on the panel was really cool. Mm-hmm. 90% of our attendees were women. We had three men in that room. And at the very end of it, some guy is like, Let's give credit to the men that are here. And of course, this beautifully gentle soul on the stage with us was like, yeah. And they all start coughing. And I'm like, are you serious? You, we're applauding the bare minimum right now. You showed up. You got out of bed. Like I. <laughs> the bar is beneath the floor. <laughs> the bar is so low, you don't even it. know you're stepping over it. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a picture of me on Twitter making a very clearly like disgusted face at like that exact moment happening. It's a really awful, like I, I developed a billion shits on it, but it was just like, just not, I was so annoyed. I was like this. And then of course, a bunch of men start showing up because the next panel happens to have somebody from who knows what there. And like, I wish one that we didn't have to only be on panels about diversity. I have marketing experience. I am an event manager. I have built audiences. I have built companies from the ground up. I do not need to only be on diversity panels. So I wish people would stop asking for just those. And two, show up and learn about diversity at least like learn what it is to be diverse learn like there was a diversity there was like a a charity panel that was being held and all the people on Mm -hmm. that panel were white men and I was like whoa wait I I run a non-for-profit where was my invite right and I'm not saying that to be petty 
instance, we could have invited no. a ton of other incredible people mm-hmm. for nonprofits. But what I'm saying is sometimes there's not thought process behind how we activate and how we do things. And we really need to sit down and do the homework, you know, especially for my white colleagues, it is your responsibility mm-hmm. to put in that extra energy and extra effort. And they're like, oh, but that's oh, like learning, you know, whatever. Like I have to make sure that I'm acting in a very specific way to not anger somebody and not come across as intimidating or aggressive because then I lose positioning and power, right? In, mm-hmm. in my speech. And then I, my credence is taken away and I'm the spicy Latina, right? And, yep. and that's a shame. And that's a shame. Sorry. I went a little, a little bit of a tear, but I'm back. No, don't apologize for that because there's so many good points in there. And I was actually fortunate enough to have some of the women from Dignitas on a couple weeks ago. And we specifically talked about panels it wasn't, it wasn't Erin Ashley Simon, although I'm very familiar with her work and she truly seems lovely. I have not had the pleasure of meeting her, but I absolutely take your and everyone else's word that she's great. Um, but we spoke about this exact problem and how often panels that are all women panels are called an all woman panel where they could be called the marketing panel or the community development panel or the nonprofit panel. There's no reason why you can't have a panel of all women who are just all experts because plenty of panels of all men who are just experts. So, and that it's funny that you bring that up in the context of being on a panel with someone from Dignitas because the Dignitas people had the exact same sentiment about being on their own panels and sharing those experiences with other women. And it's like, Hey guys, like we're just here because we're good at what we do. <laughs> Not because of our gender. <laughs> right. I like, think about it right now. Like one of the best people in community management in this moment is Victoria Tria, right? She's the mm-hmm. Among Us account. She started at Kitbox Games. She's grown her social media presence and the presence of everything she's worked on by millions on some of them, right? And and we need to take her seriously on that level. And she shouldn't just be speaking at women's conferences. And I, she is a great example, but she's not the only one who's doing badass work. And I, I really want us to like, yeah, just bring more of us to the front, not just women, but like diverse people, people that are Absolutely. of other, you know, representations. Like diversity is, is of course, more than just women and race. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. That's what I was going to say. I know this is not called the Metal Woman podcast, but the goal is to actually be talking about diversity and inclusion at a much broader level for everyone to be able to relate to and understand and learn from. So I appreciate that you bring up that point because I do think it's important to note that everyone benefits from diversity. It is not just the people you bring in and lift up. There is no situation in which bringing more voices or collaborating more or including more people winds up with a bad result. Whereas if you have all the same type of person, we have seen what the result is over and over. <laughs> did you attend Clubhouse when it was like super big? I did for maybe a month. It was, oh the my gosh, what an experience. Over and over again. I could have memorized <laughs> some of those people's speeches and been like, hi, I'm blank, blank, like, before. like you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we need mm-hmm. to give the microphone to so many other people. And, and so for Latinx and gaming, for example, like I do talks for us. But I also am mm-hmm. starting, you know, not just starting, I hand off the opportunity to the rest of the team, to other staff, to other people that are involved, because I really, like, I'm not the only Latino story. I'm not the only Latino mm-hmm. woman in the industry. And you can hear from me all the time. There's there's other people out there you can hear from, too. Can you tell me a little bit more about 
Latinos or Latinx in gaming, um, what what the organization does, why you start. I think why you started is a little obvious, but I still would love to hear more of the origin story, what you do with it, all, all yeah. that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So Latinx in gaming started because um, obviously, right, like we didn't have a support network the way like GDC happens every year. And there was like women's in game meetup, Latinx in game meetup, Latinx in game, sh- like whistle tumbleweed like we were never really like around so mm-hmm. i started it with you know a couple of other people because i wanted us to be around so it started as just a community and like a side thing and i like put a lot of heart and soul into it i I really love building communities i really love building groups of people together that have common experiences um, which is why i started fsu league of legends when i was like 19 um and so right. <laughs> um what happened was that one day, one of our mentors, uh, Trinidad Hermida, who was at Niantic at the time and now runs her own DEI company, was like, Why don't I just give you guys the money and you become an MPO? And it was like, Let's make a decision. Like, are we ready to, to start doing this? So, what we offer is grants, which I've mentioned, like, that we're trying to help yep. you kind of bridge those gaps. We're going to be, um, we have other partnerships in the works, but we do do a career fair every year. Um, and we also do a Hispanic Heritage Month celebration every year. So those mm-hmm. are our three main features, but that doesn't mean that we're not branching out and doing other things. There's definitely a lot more to come. And if anybody's interested in working with us, our email is contact at latinxandgaming.com, um, and you can reach us through there. I was going to specifically ask how listeners could get involved if they wanted to. <laughs> um, definitely Something. Google it, but if you also are looking for work, yes, contact, contact Chris, Chris and team. Um, can you tell me some of what you guys have done, what you're proudest of, uh, what you can brag about? Because I love hearing women brag about stuff. Um, I love that we have over four, no, over five million views of our content, all made by Latinx creators, Latinx folks um, showing off their art, showing off their speed runs, showing off everything. Like oh, five yeah. million views is now like, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um we also have had 30 people hired um, in the past year through our channels and networks and resources. And it was, it means that there are 30 more people here that may not have been here before. Mm-hmm. Um, and 30 more voices. 30 more voices. And um, I guess an, another great achievement is, is that we, I'm going to brag about him. I, I don't think that he, he ever was. So Fernanda Reyes Medina is one of our co-founders and he just got Forbes 30 under 30. Um, and it's an incredible wow. accomplishment. Yeah. Cause he came from nothing. He used to do uh-huh. dance instructing classes so he could pay for college because he was very poor in Mexico city. And now look at him. Mm-hmm. Like he's 30 under 30. He's launching halo. Like that's the type of inspirational story that like Latino kids need to hear that you can in fact get here. It's a lot of work, but you can get here. Right. Yeah, I think, well, that is, oh, that's so great. And congratulations to him and congratulations to you for building what sounds like a really awesome and not only awesome, but fun team. <laughs> sounds yeah. like you guys actually might have some fun on these projects and like actually like each other, which is uh, the nonprofit that world can be, uh, can be interesting. So <laughs> it's, it's actually crazy how cutthroat MPO is because uh, we talked about this before the programming, but we both lived in D.C., and I, I swear oh, to yeah. God, it's like mercenaries for hire NPO edition. Like, it's crazy how it's wild some these people are. But yeah. That's exactly the experience that I'm referencing. Uh, yeah, someone who worked in D.C. and uh, left it for a reason, I suppose you could say. It was very yeah. fun while it lasted. But it, uh, it, it's, NPOs can be a really crazy world. Uh, 
honestly, thankless. I think things really thankless. Right. Well, things like playing video games I actually feel like a pretty good preparation. <laughs> you know, because it's either you're the one endlessly trying to do something and not getting the result that you'd like to get, <laughs> or you're the one who's trying to break in and be in a in a guild or clan or something where you need to learn a little bit but nobody is patient enough to teach you anything or give you advice so right right (laughs) very directly applicable experience so just really quick to summarize for all of our listeners we talked a little bit about getting into the industry chris said it started for her at 23 ish uh sort of started with you figuring out what you wanted to do and what you liked and working off of that and i know that sounds simple but it's definitely not that simple there's a lot of barriers to go through between resume readers and not having the right people in the room and not having the right people to uplift your voice even when they are in the room and uh it can be really tough out there and once you're in the industry we talked a little bit about how hard it is, again, to get your voice heard, but how important it is to be able to stand up for yourself in, in a way that's possible. I don't think either one of us would advocate for people losing a livelihood if they didn't want to. Um, but in ways that you are able to stand up for yourself, I think that's a very encouraged uh, thing to do. Um, so, yeah. And then we finally talked about Chris's awesome organization, Latinos slash Latinx in Gaming. You guys should check it out. A lot of events and resources and grant money and a lot of really cool stories. So if anyone needs an uplifting story, uh, go read Fernando's biography. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> I like to end every episode on a little moment of reflection. So this is the chance kind of to look back at what you've done, what maybe you've liked, what you haven't liked, what has worked, what hasn't worked, and just share with our listeners what one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming industry and being successful? Your failures are as much as part of your success as your wins. Don't be sad that you failed. Learn from it. You know, failure is something that's come up in these moments of reflection more than once. And it's a real skill to be able to embrace it and to come out top of it. And particularly for women and people of color, it can be very difficult because that the barriers are so much greater. So the chance of failure is so much higher, but don't give up. (laughs) Yeah. So Chris, thank you so much for coming on. This was so much fun. I, if I have only gotten to speak with you a couple of times, but I can truly say that each time has been a very fun experience and (laughs) a little bit of belly aching never hurt. (laughs) I think it's, it's good. It's good to uh, talk about these things and to, highlight the negative sometimes um, and to highlight what some of the real problems are out there because uh, there's no way they're going to get solved unless we acknowledge them. So I appreciate your willingness to be open and to talk about tough subjects and to bring especially perspective from a woman in color. And I hope that everyone who's learning learns, listens and learns with an open mind. So that's the one thing we could all use more of, I think. <laughs> yeah, completely agreed. Um, and thank you so much for having me. Thanks for everything. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't already, leave us a five star rating and review and uh, come listen again next week when I'm sure we will have another fun conversation. <laughs>